I was thinking this morning about the privilege of what I do in contrast to what's going on in other parts of the world, specifically right now, Ukraine, and how these people have been thrust into survival mode under the most horrific attack, unprovoked, a violent bully trying to take their home from them and their lives as the rest of the world watches and at the same time goes on because we have to go on and because those of us who live in the West, in free countries, we are enjoying the freedoms that people who don't have these freedoms are willing to die to provide for their families or to win for themselves. And I just feel like we take it for granted. I hope we're all pitching in in some way to help these people. But at the same time, I just want to say it's a great call to check ourselves and how much squabbling we do among ourselves over inconsequential, silly, silly, silly things over a slight difference of opinion. And that is our privilege. We are privileged to do that. And yet, should we do that? Maybe. I love a good debate. I love to challenge ideas, but I like to do it with a playful spirit with people who also can go there with a playful spirit in the spirit of exploration and discovery. And I'm just really feeling appreciative for this space, for you all, for letting me do what I do. This podcast would be nothing without people that tune in and listen. And I'm grateful for the freedom to speak my mind, to change my mind, to challenge my mind my beliefs, my spiritual beliefs, whatever sense of patriotism I have. I don't have to be a patriot. I don't have to respect my government, and that is my privilege. I'm just feeling awe and respect for Ukrainians right now and for all of the allies who are trying to put a stop to this senseless violence. We're all just here having this one life that we've been given in this body. I don't know how many lives we get in different bodies, but this is the one life we have right now. And it's a tragedy to waste it fighting. And yet sometimes we have to fight because of the few who have evil in their hearts, who have been cut off from or have cut themselves off from love and the joy and beauty of living this life. And so... I'm going to proceed today in that spirit, in gratitude, in awe, and appreciation for being so spoiled living in America, living in California, paying almost $7 a gallon for gas. I can put gas in my car. I have the money to do that. It's a stretch for me. It's a challenge, but it's still part of the privilege. I have a car. I can go places. I can do things. And I have a podcast. I can say things. I can say ridiculous things. I can say wrong things. I can say offensive things without getting arrested. And I'm hoping Ukrainian people get to enjoy that privilege 
again soon as well. Hello, welcome to episode number four of the Joe DeVoe Show. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, but you can call me Joe, and I am here to uplift and support my fellow creatives, lovable weirdos, and makers of magic. And today, I have a special guest to help me do that. Her name is Zoe Greco. You may know her as the Merhipsy. Zoe is a professional intuitive. She actually refers to herself as a psychic a couple times during this interview, a professional psychic. But I chose to list her as a professional intuitive in the title because on her website, I don't see her using that language as much. But I can say that in talking with her for this episode of the podcast, which was the first conversation I've ever had with her ever, she does have some kind of tuned in wisdom that I was really grooving on. Plus, she let me play. She let me play. She let me ask challenging questions because sometimes I just like to do that. I think that's one of the most fun things about connecting with someone and having a conversation is going on that exploration and discovery process together. For me, I always do that in the spirit of change my mind. You know, this is what I think. What do you think? And it's really fun for me when someone allows that to happen and they don't get defensive. They're like, yeah, let's go there. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's talk about it. And so I really appreciate that about her. There's one moment where we are talking about what I framed as myself going into conspiracy theory territory because I was saying I feel we have been cut off from ourselves intentionally that at some point along the line many generations ago people in power got the idea that they can control many many people by instilling in them a fear of their own selves and a fear of hell fear of burning in hell forever and presenting them with this set of rules they have to follow to be saved from their own shameful selves. Zoe had a different spin on it that to me felt more wise and nuanced. So she definitely opened my mind in that way. She was like, well, I actually just think, and you can hear her say it in her own words, but this is the piece that really sticks with me. She was saying something to the effect of, I actually just think man saw his own shadow and it was like the scariest thing that he could imagine. And so he, and when I say he, I mean we, mankind, we cut ourselves off that way and we created this gulf of shame that then later, of course, was exploited to control. So I guess ultimately we're both saying something similar that this is used against us to control us. But her origin story, I thought, made more sense because it was more nuanced and grounded in our understanding of psychology and also, I think, her own intuition. She's a very good listener. It's really interesting to interview someone who listens at that level, and I think that that's her gift. That's partly why she is able to work as a professional psychic. She's also 
a musician of a mystical kind, a mystical musician. And we talk a little bit about that in this interview. And then if I'm understanding correctly, her core mission is to help you develop your intuition. She's all about helping other people tap into the power of their own intuition, which is no small thing. That's a superpower. If you can not only tap into your intuition, but actually follow the guidance of your intuition, you're going to have a much different, in my opinion, better experience of life than if you're just reacting constantly and going from trigger to trigger to trigger to trigger. To be able to slow down enough to hear and recognize, to learn to recognize the voice of your intuition, and then to have the courage to follow that voice, especially when it goes against the so-called conventional wisdom of the people around you. It takes a lot of courage to go there. And we were just talking about the fool on Patreon because for those of you listening in the future, especially I say this, we just had the spring equinox. Spring equinox was this past weekend. And we started this tarot journey where we're doing one card one month at a time. And of course, we had to start with the fool, which was so perfectly aligned with the equinox. April Fool's Day is coming up April 1st. And I always think about fool energy then. But we were talking on Patreon about the courage it takes to be a fool sometimes, to step to the edge and to embrace the unknown and to have faith that in doing that, if what takes you to the edge is actually inspiration from your intuition, that you're going to be guided, that it's going to be okay and that you can handle it and that your intuition is going to be a companion with you. Just like in the Fool card in Tarot, there's typically like a dog or a cat that is accompanying the Fool. That is their intuition. That is the animal embodiment of your intuition. And that intuition is meant to be with you all throughout your journey. But hopefully too as the inciting factor that takes you to the edge. And Zoe, gosh, she really embodies this energy maybe because she's an Aries son Aries very much has this kind of fearless step to the edge fool-like energy in my experience anyway that's how I perceive it and she was saying something about how she has learned to become open to taking risks because she's learned that amazing things happen on the other side of it and that until you learn and understand the system of risk and reward, it can feel really scary, but that she loves taking risks. And she's learned to love the relationship. It helps you develop with the universe, that when you take a leap of faith, you will find that there is a net there to support you. So that was very cool. And I also just want to give... My fellow witches listening right now, a trigger alert. We do talk about Jesus. And I know that is one of the most triggering words in the witchy community. I have so many books on Jesus. I have like a mini library on Jesus. Jesus as a pagan. Jesus as a yogi. Jesus as a Buddha. Jesus as whatever. If there's a book that reframes 
how Jesus is perceived, I probably have it on my shelf because that is an energy I connected with maybe before I was even verbal. It may have been a pre-verbal connection. It's a connection I've had my entire life. And for a long time, I rejected Jesus, all things Jesus, anything that had even a whiff of Christianity was offensive to me. So it was a whole journey being able to make peace with that energy, specifically the energy we call Jesus. I don't know what that is. I'm not claiming to know what that is. I can only say it was with me the whole time. Even when I was rejecting it, there was just this presence, this loving, guiding presence that had the same feeling, tone, that I knew as a toddler. And so Zoe's the kind of person that you can talk about Jesus with. And we just did. <laughs> we did. So I wanted to get out in front of that and let you know if that upsets you. We are not talking about this in a Christian way. If you happen to be a Christian listening right now, maybe you'll find it interesting to hear how other people perceive that energy. I don't know. I don't know. I just want to talk about it because it's something I think about. It's something I think about. And again, the freedom, the freedom to say things that people don't like. What a privilege. What a privilege. And it's one I don't take lightly. So thank you for putting up with me, especially those of you who disagree with me. I appreciate it. If you ever want to let me know how you feel about something, as long as you're not attacking me or being insulting, I'm open to hear it. And you can reach out to me anytime you want. Probably on Twitter would be your best bet because I'm a Twitter person. Just saying. I got Twitter brain. It's how my brain works. So if you ever want to connect with me, that's a good place to go look in. So let's get into this interview with Zoe. I think you're going to love it. She's a cool person and this is a really fun conversation. So without further delay, here she is, Zoe Greco. Hi, Zoe. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Joanna, for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Can you tell me what Amarhipsi is? <laughs> yes. The answer to this question is actually a little complicated because I originally connected to the energy of Amarhipsi, which is sort of my alter ego back in 2013, 2014. And at the time, the climate in the spiritual community was different. And I think I, I feel that we are in a, a more healthy climate now, but I, I like to take ownership of this story because it just is an example of learning a lesson. So merhipsy is actually a portmanteau of a word made of other words. That means mermaid, hippie, gypsy. And I've <gasps> since learned that gypsy is not an acceptable term. It's not a word that I should be using. And so I have sort of shifted it to just sort of be mermaid hippie vibes, but I do really enjoy the opportunity to talk about it and just say, you know, it's okay to make a mistake and it's okay to, to learn a lesson. And it's important when people are saying, please don't use that word to, to hear them, to, to answer and to make a change. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I wrote a novel about someone who creates a gypsy Vardo and through the whole book, I kept saying Romani, 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 and mm -hmm, it sounded, yes. I think it's a cultural thing. I think it, we all said gypsy for so long and then we all kind of learned together and it felt yeah. so awkward changing the language, but 
I want to be respectful too. So I totally relate to that. I felt like it was a smooth transition, actually. Like once it was brought to my attention, I think as most people, I felt like this moment of defensiveness and was like, okay, wait, just listen, like really hear what people are saying to you. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because as I've taken ownership of that over the past couple of years, even to this day, I still have people who will DM me after a podcast or something and be like, you're too politically correct and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, totally, you're right to feel that way. I'm just feeling the way I'm feeling. Like we're all just doing our thing. Okay. Like don't get your panties in a knot. Yeah. I think my awkwardness with it was just developing a new language and then also being like, well, other people know what I mean when I say Romani Vardo. And I'm like, well, if they don't, then that's their opportunity to learn about this. Totally. Oh, amazing. Well, I love that we share that. We have that in common in a way. Yeah. And you, you do a lot of things. Something I wanted to mention that really got my interest this morning when I was kind of just digging around and finding out who this Zoe Greco person is, is Rogue Reverie. I'm so excited about this. I could not subscribe to your Instagram fast enough. You're doing all kinds of amazing things with sound healing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I'd love to. I am part of a sound healing duo with my best friend, Taryn Emmert, who is a really incredibly talented musician and body worker and energy worker. She's all things fine arts, healing arts. And together we are just kind of two soul sisters on a mission to bring healing and resonance through vibrational and frequency healing. So we play a lot of different instruments. Um, I, you know, I learned, started learning the sitar last year. We are seriously just constantly collecting and accumulating more and more and more instruments. And we also do things a little bit differently when it comes to sound healing than people um, out there, because a lot of times you will go to maybe a sound healing experience and you'll experience the bowls. If you're lucky, you'll experience maybe the gong. And we do that Plus, like I said, a ton of instruments. And then we also do, we're both vocalists. And so we do a lot of vocal harmonizing and singing as well as looping. So we use an electronic loop pedal and we kind of create this feeling like you're in a cathedral sort of thing, which is like a a cacophony of voices sort of Mm -hmm. around you. Um, We've been doing that together for about five years now, which is crazy, but we've both been doing sound healing for about a decade. And actually just this morning, sold out our next round of our sound healing training. So we host a four day training here at my house in Phoenix, and it's always just so, so magical. And we actually have people signing up for pre-sale spots on the one in June because it's like just oversold. So we feel so blessed and so lucky. And we are so just so grateful to be able to merge our passions of healing and music and to be able to do it with your best friend is just so, so fun. So we're we're very fortunate. Yeah. You know, I think that that is such a gift to teach people that because it's practical. It tones the vagus nerve. It feels good. It feels good. And it's something, even if you're not in a room with flutes and singing bowls, just humming alone in your car can mm-hmm. create an energetic shift. And I just love the practicality of that. Like it's a practice that's easy and doable. And it's also to me innate. We just forget these things, but I feel like yes. little, little kids understand. 
you know, the other thing I think that, so you're hitting on the idea that sound healing is extremely accessible, which is incredible. And so true because our voice is the most powerful healing instrument we have. And to bring resonance and vibration into our body, just through singing is so extremely powerful, but there's actually evidence of the effects that it can have on your physical healing as well. There's an incredible study done on um, blood cells before and after a gong bath. And you can literally see the cells detoxified from beginning to end. It's just absolutely incredible. If anyone's interested in that, it's out on YouTube, but there are so many incredible studies around the physical effects of sound healing as well. So whether you can, you know, spring for an instrument or whether you're just using the instrument of your, of your body, your voice, and, you know, even, even rhythm and, and uh, sound that can be created with the hands or the feet, you are absolutely enhancing your well-being, And it's just so cool that that is accessible to all of us in every moment. And, you know, has these really profound effects on both physical and mental aspects of ourselves. I 100% believe that. You can feel it. If you leave a sound bath kind of experience, you feel healed. You feel very calm and clear and energized somehow at the same time. Absolutely. Like rested and yet, and yet tired and yet ready to go. It kind of (laughs) just brings you into like this peaceful, serene state of being. Mm. Are you by any chance, Claire audience? So what a great question. Um, I do identify as clairaudient, um, although I wouldn't say that it's my primary psychic sense. However, when it comes to music, I do feel that my clairaudience is very useful, especially in the writing process. When I listen to music or when we're writing or when we're creating, as soon as we create some sort of bass, I can almost immediately hear the melody that should be on the song, as well as the words that are kind of coming through or the sort of the cadence or the rhythm. So absolutely, I experience a lot of Claire audience in my songwriting, but I would say as a professional intuitive, Claire cognizance is my primary sense kind of matched with Claire empathy, Claire sentience. The knowing. Yes. The knowing, the feeling, feeling other people's feelings, I think is a hugely powerfully useful tool as an intuitive as well. So that clear empathy and that clear sentience, uh, as soon as I connect with someone for a call, I can literally feel whether they're nervous or excited, whether they're open or they're closed. Like it's just that ability in and of itself really helps me to establish rapport, help me, helps me to like open up space with a client. Um, but then also as we're moving through things to be able to feel their reactions to it without them having to tell me is also very useful because it helps me know how to deliver the information or how to support them as they receive the information. So I find that claircognizance in, in sort of combination with that clairsentience, clair empathy tends to be the way that I receive information the most. And I've become, become really comfortable with like the system that I've created um, because of those, those abilities. Do you have to be in the room with someone to do that? No. So I actually took my practice completely remote back in 2017. Yeah, I think it was 2017. Um, My husband told me one day that he wanted to build a school in Kenya. And I said, okay, I think I'm going to have to take my business remote. So we decided to both um, completely take our businesses um, kind of virtual. And I have ever since had my sessions completely remotely. And in fact, I don't even like to have video on. I find that being able to see someone's like body language or their physical reactions just kind of impairs me from feeling like I can 100% channel 
like truthfully, authentically kind of unencumbered. Um, and I also found too, in my years of doing readings in person, because I'm a sensitive person, not just in, not just intuitively, but like emotionally, I'm very sensitive. Mm -hmm. So if I felt like I was seeing a reaction from someone, it would actually cause me to start to feel kind of like insecure or thrown off. And I've found that um, since sort of removing the ability to see people, it's actually just enhanced my channeling abilities because I'm no longer sort of sort of bound by feeling like I have to kind of watch out for how people are receiving the information. So I feel very fortunate that I've been able to create a practice and be able to support others in that way that also is more comfortable for me. Yeah, I relate to that just as a podcaster. I yeah. don't like video because it's just, you know, you're reading the person's body language and all of that. And I find it facilitates deeper listening when I just tune into that instead of mm. having both go on. And I also do channeling and I typically close my eyes for that as well. Yes. So, yeah. And a lot of that comes through as I hear things. So it just helps me to close my eyes. But I did hear you say something that intrigued me. You moved to Kenya. Is that right? No. So sorry. Okay. All right. Should have told like, that story better. Like this um, is not a thing to gloss over here. Zoe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so such a, such a sweet story, actually very shortly after my husband and I got married when we were just like 25, you know, so we're like young, kind of starting our lives, just trying to find our footing. We didn't have a lot, you know, we were doing well, but we didn't have a lot. And my husband went to a conference, a tech conference. I believe it was in San Diego, but Oh no, it was in Dallas. And he came home. Actually, he called me and he was like, Hey, I have this opportunity to donate $30,000 to build a school in Kenya. And I really want to do it. And I was like, well, I love that idea. I think that's exactly what we're missing in our lives is philanthropy, but we don't have $30,000. Like, what are you thinking about that? And he was like, we're going to, we're going to figure it out. We're going to make it, we're going to raise it. We're going to, you know, do it. And so we pulled some strings, made it happen. We then were able to go and actually visit the school and help complete building it and meet with other donors and meet with the community and be able to see, you know, the beautiful country that is Kenya, as well as the, you know, the despair that exists there. And um, it was a, a wonderful experience, but we realized at that time that we wanted to be able to do more of that going forward. And so we decided beginning with this experience, we're going to start to make our lives a little bit more flexible. What an empowering experience for everybody involved. Yeah. And for you guys, I'm thinking of specifically because it shows you what's possible. Like you cannot have $30,000, but you can raise the $30,000. The implications of that are huge. And yeah. also you can make someone's life better. Well, it also just demonstrated our values to us because although we did have a few friends and family members who donated, we basically like took out a business loan. Like we took out, you know, a, I don't remember what exactly it was, but we took a loan out through my husband and his business and that was a, a big risk. There was no return of investment on that. It was just, except emotionally, obviously, but it was simply like money out. And we decided like, we don't care. We don't, we don't care if we don't have it. We don't care if that's what we were doing with this money. If we never see it again, whatever, it doesn't matter. We, we did the right thing with this money. Like we had an opportunity to do something positive and we seized that opportunity. And we just kind of very early in our marriage discovered like that's something that we share in common, that we're both, you know, risk or pro risk. We're not risk adverse, um, which, you know, it's very unifying as a couple that we're very on the same page around that. So it was just a really important opportunity to 
as young people and young married people learn about our values, learn about our shared values and find you know what we were capable of. So you're absolutely right. It was an extremely expansive experience. You literally just answered one of my questions and that was going to be, you seem to be a person who takes a lot of risks and you just called yourself pro-risk. So I'm, I'm guessing that's right on. It is. I definitely scare the people in my life with the choices that I make. I actually come from like a very traditional background, went to private boarding school in Connecticut, kind of a buttoned up upbringing. And even though my parents are both you know, very loving, accepting, open people, when I kind of walked away from a you know million dollar education and was like, I want to be a professional psychic. They were like, well, I don't know about that. Like how, like, how do you plan to sustain yourself, support yourself? We, they, they were kind of thinking I was going to end up being a naturopathic physician. So I definitely took a big risk there. And ever since then, being a business owner, I think you have to become really intimate with risk and open to risk. And I now, especially, you know, being married to an entrepreneur as well, I've become so like open to risk and just like in love with taking risks because I know the amazing things that happen on the other side of it. So it's an amazing thing that I feel I've been able to master in my life and also be able to help my friends and my loved ones and my, you know, even my business partner, Taryn, I was talking about with sound healing in the very beginning, I was the one that was like, if we spend this money, we can do this. If we do this, we can make this happen. And until you learn that system of like risk and reward, it can feel really scary, but I love taking risks. I love what happens on the other side. And I love the relationship it helps you develop with the universe where you take a leap of faith and you find that there is a net there to support you. And it's just a really beautiful co-creative experience. Yeah. And I, you know, interestingly, you are a healer. Your, your yes. parents may have thought you were going to be a physician, but in some sense you are doing that work just in a very groovy, woo, hippie kind of way. Exactly. And they both are now fully supportive. And honestly, it didn't take very much for them to sort of turn around. It was all just concern, right? Like how, like, will you be able to support yourself? Like, will you, will you be okay? And I think as soon as I saw that I was doing more than okay, they were like, great. As long as you're happy, we want that for you. And, you know, I think you have to be that person for what you do to teach people how to follow their intuition. I have done a deep dive on this since I think the pandemic just really challenged all of us Mm, and it brought up a lot of fear and things like that. And I really got to a point, particularly at the beginning of this year, where I was like, I know I'm going in the right direction when I feel like I'm taking a risk and when I'm really, really nervous and scared, kind of mingling with excitement. And I, I kind of thrive on that feeling. I've been a creative person my whole life. And it's when I make decisions based on what other people will think or what I think I should do that I get really off track. And so I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm ever going to be comfortable being uncomfortable, but I can accept it and I can embrace it because like you said, there's a reward on the other side of it. You know, I think you're making a really good point, which I hadn't even really considered, which is the idea that what feels like a risk to people on the outside doesn't always feel like a risk to the person taking it. Like, because I trust my intuition, when it asks me to do something that other people might experience as risky or almost irresponsible, I know that there's something within me that's calling me to do this. And because I've developed this 
strong relationship of trust with my intuition, it doesn't feel like a risk to me. And I think that's a very important distinction that you're making. And it's one that basically I've now, you know, devoted my career to helping other people master is learning to listen to that inner voice, developing a relationship with that inner voice through consistency and self-care and ritual and being able to know that you can trust it, even when people around you may not feel that you're making a wise decision. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel fear when you're following your intuition. Is that what you're saying? Um, I think that fear is a natural reaction that we all experience. And even when we feel secure or even when we feel trusting and sure and certain, our ego is a part of us that we can't extract from our being. We can't, you know, completely evacuate it or evict it from our, from our personhood. So there's always going to be that little, that little sort of scream of ego. That's like, is this scary? Is this bad? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And so of course that voice is there. So I feel, I experience a voice of fear, but I've also learned what that voice is, that that's not my intuition. That's not truth. It's illusion. It's ego. It's untruth as I might call it. And so I do experience fear, but I just don't let it control my reactions or my actions. I don't let it decide what I do. Mm -hmm. Yes. That makes sense. Are your parents very woo or hippie? Because I saw something at some point about you talking about past lives with your mom when you were a toddler. So it seems this relationship started pretty early for you, maybe out of the womb. It was very immediate and innate. And I would say my mom is extremely open. She didn't necessarily have the exposure to the world of spirituality that I had growing up. So she's had to sort of develop that in her life very independently from like, you know, early adulthood and definitely opened pathways and doorways for me, took me to psychic fairs, took me to healers growing up. But I think as I was being exposed to those things, she was also being exposed to those things. I don't want to necessarily speak for her, but I believe that's my understanding of her experience. Whereas my dad is an Italian, you know, grew up Catholic, but wasn't much of a church church man um, himself. But is open to the idea. And I think I would describe my dad as hopeful to around the idea that there's something bigger and and expansive and he'll occasionally him and his wife, who's not my mom, a different woman will ask me questions and be like, what, you know, what's uh, you know, what are you sensing about this? Or like, what do you think about this? And I definitely see that there is openness. And I also think that there is, there was openness for me And then there's openness through me. So like, I think with my mom, she wanted to foster who I was and who she saw me as, as an innate being. And so she created opportunities for me to be myself. And then I think more with my dad, his pathway to spirituality or his gateway to spirituality is actually through me because he trusts me. And therefore what I believe in and what I think is real and and palpable, he trusts that that is true because I trust it. So it kind of runs in a couple of different directions, but I feel really blessed all the time for the level of openness that I can have with my family. And actually, you might not know this, but I'm actually married to an active member of the Mormon church. Um, I definitely did not know that. (laughs) Yes. And my in-laws are very, very 
very actively Mormon. And I've had also nothing but love and receptivity and acceptance from, from his family as well. And honestly, it's so interesting because obviously that's not a very common experience. And I think that the universe just had like different tasks for me than kind of overcoming the hurdles of like not feeling seen or accepted as a, as a spiritual being. They were like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're, you don't, you don't have to deal with that hurdle. You have different hurdles. So I'm always interested to hear the stories and the experiences of people who have, you know, more, more walls or obstacles to overcome in that area of self-discovery, because obviously it's outside of my experience, but even in the ways that you would think that I would for sure have experienced discrimination or, um, you know, lack of acceptance, I just felt love. I've just always felt love. And I am so grateful that that's not my lesson in this life that I've I got is, other fish to fry. Don't worry out there. I've got my own, <laughs> my own burdens and problems. That is so cool though. I see so you had no fear of burning in hell forever. Not even a little bit. I, I've felt since my early, early childhood that hell is just a figment of our imaginations. It's a tool. It's a tool for control. It's not a real place. Oh, yes, you're speaking my language. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually think we are afraid of ourselves, mm. including our intuition, but our bodies, we're afraid of ourselves. And I, this is, this is crossing into conspiracy theory territory, but I suspect this is on purpose that many, 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 many generations ago, we were separated from ourselves to make us easier to control. We were cut off from our intuitive knowing and our relationship with nature, which we are very much a part of. And in exchange, we were given this one judgmental fear-mongering God that's made in man's image. And mm. maybe it's because I come from that, that that's my perspective, but. No, I can really resonate with that. I think I think it's all the same energy sort of manifesting in different ways, whether, you know, how you perceive it or how I perceive it or how someone else perceives it. But I, I do think that the image of hell, and this, this is actually a topic I haven't yet to discuss on a podcast. So I'm super stoked about this. Let's um, talk about hell. Let's talk about hell, baby. I think that the image of hell is created out of the wickedness of, of man. Like, I think that man saw its own shadow and said, what could be darker, like what could be scarier than, than this, mm. um, and created that image. And basically we're running from that part of ourselves. So I think the idea of avoiding hell, whatever that is, is a great, I, it, I think it started as a great idea, like lean into the light of yourself. And then it became a tool of, of control through, you know, organized religion and so, and so, and so not that I believe organized religion is, is all bad because I certainly don't, but I do see the way that eternal damnation is weaponized against us. Yes. Um, I definitely experience the afterlife as a very one dimensional experience. And by that, I mean, like it is light. It is good. It is, it is peace. It is healing. It is truth. It is clarity. It is oneness. Like there is just only one truth on the other side. And hell is just not, it's not there. It's just yeah. not a part of that experience. You know, with the different spiritual experiences I've had, it's been all love and mm. growing up in fundamentalism, major Christianity, mm -hmm. <laughs> like everyone we knew were Christians. We were only supposed to associate with Christians from our church. My first experience of Jesus was very open and, and channeled and 
beautiful and loving. And it wasn't until I got older when the education started picking up and we were introduced to fire and brimstone. Mm. And I always tell my parents, that's the big mistake y'all made was teaching me like Jesus loves the little children and all of this. It's all love. And then all of a sudden it switches and Mm. it's fire and brimstone. And that's actually what saved me because it didn't match. It did not match my experience, what I was being taught. And there was a lot of suffering around that over the years of just trying to reconcile these two different things. But I really think it was first experiencing what I experienced as Jesus as being this loving, infinitely loving, eternally loving presence that Mm. allowed me to move through that to the other side. Oh, I could cry hearing that. I definitely think, so just like we as humans, you know, looked at our own wickedness and created the image of hell. I think that we as humans looked at our, our light and our goodness and the best parts of ourselves and created the image of Jesus. And I also believe that Jesus is like a real energetic like person that we've connected to and, and felt through centuries. And I really believe that Jesus is the embodiment of everything beautiful like the present when you feel his presence like it is it's very distinct it's different than like you know guides or you know spirit guides or angels or like it's it has a different frequency and it's it's humbling and it makes you want to cry it's like every ounce of compassion that has ever existed does exist or will ever exist in one entity and it's just it's just humbling the presence of that so when you said that I was like oh yes I feel that so strongly this is so much fun to me. My idea is that we create our own heaven. We create our own hell by the choices we make. Mm. And I, it's a little bit different than what you're saying, but also same ballpark. Yeah. And because I know you channel, I'm very curious about this too. I have been channeling for a very long time and I suspect that it is the energy of Jesus that I tapped into as a child, but I don't know what it is I'm channeling. I just know it's always loving. It's never steered me wrong. So I just trust it. But I always tell people, I don't know, it could be my higher self. It could be Jesus. It could be, you know, ancestors. I really don't know. I was asking its name at some point and the name Pisces popped up and I was like, could that be a Jesus thing? I don't know, you know, because he's the sign of the fish and all of that. Mm -hmm. Who do you think you're channeling is what I'm really trying to ask. Do you feel like you have a clear sense? Okay. Now this energy is coming through from this archangel and this is my ancestor or are you Mm. just receiving the energy and letting it be what it is? That's a great question. I feel that energy is sort of one lump. I don't really like to use that word, but there's like no other word. Like it's all kind of one source. And just like we, as a microcosmic, you know, example or a microcosmic, you know, demonstration of the larger, we're multifaceted. We have multitudes within us as does oneness. Oneness is like a multifaceted thing. And so every energy that you can experience, whether it's you know, the Hindu gods or goddesses, whether it's, you know, Celtic energies, whether it's Jesus, whatever it is that you're tuning into, it's a facet of that oneness. And because we've sort of named these things and identified these things through their characteristics, when I channel, I can tune into that and say, oh, I'm feeling the energy of, 
you know, powerful creativity. So it feels like, you know, the goddess Sarasvati, or I'm tuning into the energy of deep, deep, deep compassion. So I'm getting the, the energy of Jesus or deep healing. I'm getting the energy of Archangel Michael, deep strength. I'm getting the energy of Archangel. Uh, I'm sorry. I said, Michael, I meant Raphael. Now I'm getting the energy of Michael. So tuning into those energies through the characteristics that they bring forward, that feels distinguishable to me. I do also feel that people's guides tend to have slightly distinguishable energy from one another. Like it just feels catered and tailored to the person that I'm connecting with. So I do feel that there's a difference between the energies as you experience them. And yet we're all different experiences of one larger energy. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I feel when I channel, it's always the same. It always feels Mm. the same to me, but I have been visited by what I might call ghosts and they're very different. And yes. So in that way, I think I can understand what you're saying. Definitely. I actually just did a a reading for someone whose father passed away from COVID, which was just utterly heart-wrenching, especially because that was a client that I already, you know, care for and knew and channeling her father's energy you know, channeling the energy of someone who's passed, um, or the energy of someone who's trying to enter the world, like a, a, like a new soul trying to be born. Those feel very connected to like a personality. Like they feel more like a person, like reading for a living person Yeah. than it does channeling the energy of like, and like, you know, a spirit guide or an archangel or something. So definitely resonate with what you're saying. How does that feel to you? Actually, more specifically, how did that feel to you in the beginning when you started reading for other people? That just seems like a really big, speaking of risk, a risky responsibility. Mm. What's the experience of recognizing you have this gift and then offering it to other people? Is it awkward? Are there a lot of mistakes made? Do you feel like a fraud? Do you get called a fraud? Like what happens? What happened in Mm. your case? I had been doing little readings my whole life. There are Oracle decks, you know, in drawers right in front of me. I've had since I was seven years old. So I've been doing this for quite some time. And it wasn't until I was in college that I felt sort of this, this shift into, oh, this is a different experience. Like this isn't playful anymore. It's, and it wasn't like it was bad or scary. It just wasn't fun. It was like, I was taking it seriously and it began sort of naturally. Like I was just, you know, doing what I'd always done, reading cards for my friends. And then all of a sudden someone's grandfather comes through and I'm like, Oh, um, what are you doing here? Like that feels like a lot. It wasn't really like reading or like tuning into people's uh, spirit guides that felt overwhelming to me. It was people who had passed on. And so I was a sophomore say in college? Yeah, I was a sophomore and I was taking a Qigong class with this guy named Jonathan Snow, who just, you know, a guy who likes Qigong and was teaching his class, you know, at a college campus. And he was the only person that I could talk to at the time because the person that I had been always, you know, receiving readings from and things had just actually passed away. And so I went to this guy and I was like, dead people are just talking to me all the time and I'm not a fan of it. And I could tell he was like kind of overwhelmed by what I was saying, but I was like, you're the only person I could think of to talk to. And he gave me some analogy about dragons that to this day, I don't really understand, but he did say one thing that really helped me, which was it's a door. 
and you get to decide who comes in, who goes out, when they come in, when they come out, like you have control over this door. Mm. And I have to say that that was like the most important thing that anyone has ever said to me, because I have been so protected. I've never experienced like trolls, haters. I've never had dark, heavy, negative experiences. I don't have people putting stuff on me. I don't experience like bad black magic from other people. Like everything feels like it just bounces off of me. And I feel like golden and like alchemical and protected because from very early on in my journey, I have developed this idea and this mentality that like, I'm in charge. You can't hurt me and you can't affect me if I say that you can't. And I really, I'm actually teaching, I I teach a mentorship program and I'm teaching the last class today of this 30 day program. And today is our lesson on spiritual hygiene. And we talk about this very thing because your agency to decide that you are in charge of how you experience spirit is so empowering and something that I think is not discussed. Like most of the time when I have people coming to me in spiritual awakening, they're going through what I was going through, which is like, I feel overwhelmed. Like, I don't, I don't think I like how this is happening. And it feels like it's happening to me. Like I can't control this. And as soon as someone said, yes, you can, I was like, okay, yes, I can. And it changed the whole thing for me. Hmm. So honestly, ever since then, there have been times, of course, I think more as an entrepreneur than, a, than an intuitive that I have felt imposter syndrome, that I felt, you know, insecure. And again, you know, as a, as a young intuitive, just starting my business, you can't see me, but I look very young as well. So when I was like 23 starting this business, I looked like 12 basically. <laughs> um, and so no one really took me seriously. And that was something that I had to deal with was like overcoming my appearance. I'm also only five feet tall. I'm very small. Like it just, you know, I've, I've always looked younger than I am. And so, you know, luckily now that I'm in my thirties, I think I'm starting to look at least like I'm in my twenties. And so people are like starting to take me a little bit more seriously. And maybe I'm fooling myself and maybe I really do look my age now. I, I don't know, but I, I feel like that was definitely the biggest obstacle that I had to overcome was being taken seriously because of my physical vessel, Mm. um, which caused a lot of dissonance with my body. I went through a lot of body dysmorphic disorder that to be honest, I'm still overcoming and and grappling with. And I would say that's where my issues manifested, but it did cause me to feel some imposter syndrome. Like if people can't take me seriously, why, why, why should I ask them to like, why should I expect them to? So that was where my struggle really was. Yeah. What about if you're delivering something that maybe that person doesn't want to hear? I think in my earlier days, I struggled with that more than I do now. Today, I feel really, really confident in the idea that like truth is the most precious gift you can give. And I'm also an Aries sun, Sagittarius moon, and I'm Italian and I'm from New York. So I think like blunt truth speaking is in my DNA, Mm. um, and in my stardust, but I think, you know, everyone around me might think I'm quite blunt, but I do try to deliver things in a loving way. But I do believe that if something, if there's something that someone needs to know, whether they want to hear it or not, it doesn't actually matter because they need to hear it. And so Mm. I'd rather give someone what they need than what they want. And it's loving. Yeah, exactly. And it's a loving thing to you. I 100% would have guessed that you're an Aries. Because I, <laughs> I associate Aries with risk and the full card, like leaping into the unknown, stepping to the edge. That feels very Aries to me. Yeah. We're the leaders. We gotta, we gotta take the first step so other people know they can. 
Mm. I love the imagery of a door too, because it can be like, well, they can come knocking on your door, but you don't have to open it. Yes, exactly. And also I also developed sort of not just the idea of this door, but like I've created stipulations, you know, very, I tell a story all the time, but when I was in college again, kind of going through the spiritual awakening, I saw this girl sitting on a bench and I knew who she was, but I'd never spoken to her. I knew who her boyfriend was, but I, I, she wasn't my friend. She was just sort of in my grade. And I heard this voice say her boyfriend's going to break up with her tomorrow. And I remember thinking like, that's pretty fucked up. That's none of my business. Like, I don't want to know that. And I told spirit, like, I don't want to just know things about people unless they want to know, unless I need to deliver that information to them. So ever since then, I don't just like receive information. I'm not the person that's going to like come up to you in the grocery store as you're shopping for pears and broccolini and say like your dead so-and-so is coming forward or like, Hey, you're going to be whatever. Like that's not the way that I want to exist as an intuitive being. I think that there are lots of people who need to exist that way because there's lots of people who want that experience, but it's not my journey in this lifetime. And so I set those parameters too. And I think we believe as beings that we're like pulled into what spirit wants, but spirit wants to give us what we want to experience. And there are certain things that they know we need, but we're here with free will to like make decisions. And I believe that using your free will to make choices about your intuition is one of the most empowered things that you can do. That is very cool. I'm glad that message is part of this conversation. I love that. Are you the person that goes to a party and then everybody's lining up and wanting you to do me, do me, (laughs) you know, know, how do you, how do you have a boundary around that? Where you're like, I really actually just want to enjoy this party. You know, I don't experience it as much at parties because I, I'm the one that throws the parties. My house is the party house. And so you don't get in if you're going to treat me that way, but but I get that a lot. If I'm like, you know, sitting with someone for a haircut, for instance, and they're like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a professional psychic. And they're like, oh my God, read for me. Like, I find that that happens to me quite a bit. And so I, I have become a little bit more private about what I do. And it's not, it's not out of shame or like discomfort. Like I will tell the most conservative, whatever, whoever, whatever, I don't care. Like they, they can have their opinions about me. That's about me being aware of the fact that not everyone is entitled to my energy, like having a strong boundary around who gets to experience my energy. And when I say that, it makes me sound super high and mighty. Like I think my energy is some sort of like precious commodity, but I think that we have to feel that way about ourselves and also other people. I think of everyone else the exact same way. And I think because of the experiences that I've had, it makes me even more respectful of people and what they do, whether they are, you know, a, a brow girl or they're a, you know, a lawyer, whatever, whoever they are, I'm not just going to go up and be like, I've actually been thinking like, I need some legal advice or like, Hey, I know we're at the social function, but can you just like do my brows for me really quick? Like, I know that that's not a way to like, just approach people. And so treat others the way you want to be treated. And honestly, it comes back around. Yeah. Everyone's energy is a precious commodity and we all get to put those boundaries in place. Exactly. Okay. So I have, I mean this in the most playful way. I do not mean this as a challenge. Sometimes I get really excited about playing devil's advocate. So (laughs) 
I want to preface it with that, but like something like numerology, you help people calculate their personal numerology. And that's something I do have strange feelings about certain numbers, which I cannot explain, but Mm -hmm. when I think of like numerology, I know I'm an ENFP or like generator with sacral authority, all these things to me sometimes they feel in conflict with intuition. It feels like an intellectual exercise. And I see sometimes people get really caught up in it to the point where it can be a little bit paralyzing. And mm. are, do you know what I'm asking? Does yeah. That make sense to you? <clears throat> yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. I experience these things as tools to help people to be able to understand themselves like it's a, it's a gateway. It's an a, invitation. A is it a language maybe? It can be. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that there are people who, who I think what you're talking about is people and correct me if I'm wrong, who get so caught up in looking for, looking for ways to understand themselves externally that they don't go inside that they don't look yeah. within. And I think, of course, like anything can be enabling to someone like that, who is resistant to doing their inner work or who is resistant to, um, you know, experiencing themselves in a deep and intimate way. But I also see that looking to these things is their way of, of saying in some way, like, I want to know myself. I want to understand myself. And so using those things as a baseline, using those things as a way of beginning a journey or understanding perhaps what is immediately in front of you, I think that it creates an opportunity. But of course, I believe that the goal is to use your intuition, understand your intuition. And I think that's actually why I use numerology as a chosen modality, as opposed to astrology or other things. One, I actually haven't had like the time to learn about this very formulaic sort of astrology and other things like that, that are very like concrete. Mm -hmm. However, I experience numerology more as like an awareness that, that demonstrates themes that are coming up that you can then prepare for and navigate through your intuition. But there's just sort of an awareness, like of if you're in a personal year seven, here are some themes that you might want to be aware of. Use your intuition to navigate that journey. Use your intuition to move through this season of life into the next one. But I agree with you. I think if it becomes a way of avoiding like real inner work, then of course it's, it's out of balance. And any medicine that you use too much no longer is medicine. It becomes poison. Mm. I'm going to do something weird now again. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I have this idea of the five eyes and this came to me while thinking about talking to you. I was thinking about imagination, impulse, instinct, intuition, intellect, and the subtle differences between all of these things. I'm not going to make you define what each of these are, but you know, what is the difference, for example, between instinct and intuition? I'll just pick two. I believe personally that instinct is more of the physical world. It is the way that we know how to nurse when we are born. It's Mm. the way that we know that, you know, that I I always think of like cavemen when I think of instinct, like, you know, as man evolved, how did they know to create fire? How did they know to create communication? Like, I believe that instinct is what progresses us as a civilization, as a society, as, you know, a species, as individuals, And I believe that intuition is the guiding force 
of our spiritual experience. It is the thing that is the, the tool and the needle on our compass of progression in a spiritual sense. So instinct is physical, intuition is spiritual, and you bring it into the physical. It affects your physical, obviously, but they exist in different planes of being, if that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. I heard Rich Roll had not, I don't think it's his guru, but a friend of his that is a guru come on and they were talking about this a bit. And they were talking about the difference between impulse and intuition and how people often get their impulses confused as intuition. And the guru guy had a great bit of advice. He's like, wait, just Mm -hmm. don't act on that impulse for give it 72 hours if you can, but even just 12 hours, like revisit it then and see how you feel. And if the moment has passed, you know, mm-hmm. in the heat of the moment, that's how, you know, it wasn't just, it was an impulse. It was a reaction as opposed to intuitive guidance. I think that's beautiful guidance. And I would also maybe add that impulse feels urgent. It feels like a push. And I think that intuition is more of an invitation and oh. like a pull. Impulse feels impulse feels like it, it operates out of like desperation. It doesn't always, but it can. Like the idea of impatience or urgency and intuition operates on like a slower, more divine timeline. So I think the, the advice of this guru is really on point because it suggests that like intuition is patient and impulse is impatient. Yeah, that's a good way of framing it for sure. I often think of impulse too as just a trigger. Somebody has like touched a wound and I need to react now. Mm, yes, so, so, so astute. Yeah, one of the best things about getting older is not reacting. Learning, it takes a long time for some of us to learn to not react. But once you get the hang of it, life becomes much more peaceful. Wow, I couldn't agree more. I also, I just have some funny questions for you because I just kind of wanted to play. I, I love what you do. I think it's such a fun way to move through life. And I know it's not just about fun and playfulness to you, but to me, it's like, wow, giving yourself permission to follow this calling, I think is pretty radical and fun. And so I was just going to tease you a little bit about a fun fact I found on your website where you said you've escaped from 160 escape rooms in five states and three countries. And I was like, is she a cheater? Is this cheating? She's a professional psychic and intuitive. (laughs) That's so funny. You know, I've actually never even considered that that takes like a, like a a role in the escape rooms. I think because doing escape rooms is like my way of just like being human. I spend so much of my time, like living in a spiritual headspace, doing spiritual work, like spirituality is my whole life. And so like, it's so, and actually that's why my style is very like, kind of like grungy, like, I don't know, like I actually love the idea of like being a hellraiser, like being a baddie, like those are, that's like the the vibe that I love to tune into because it's so human. And so I think escape rooms are the same thing for me. Like it's a way to use my mind. It's a way to like refine my human brain and like give it a chance to exercise and like do things that my spirit doesn't get to do. However, I will say in the past couple of years, uh, especially this past year, I've had a bunch of things happen recently where 
I've had to like guess a number in a group. Like people have been like, you know, whether it's at a bridal shower or like, you know, random things, people will be like, guess this number, guess how old I am or whatever. And I get it every time. And people, my friends are always like, you're cheating. You're a psychic. (laughs) And I'm like, guys, that's a very specific skill. Not every psychic is good at everything. There's tons of like things like that, like exercises like that. That's not my forte. I don't tend to experience my intuition as like a parlor trick, but there's times where it does in fact come off like a parlor trick. Yeah, And my yes. friends definitely <laughs> accuse me of being a cheater. I yes. will admit. No one wants to play the count the jelly beans or guess the jelly beans in the jar game with Zoe. Nope, <laughs> not with me. <laughs> Why escape rooms? How did that even start for you? You know, I had a friend who wanted to do one for a birthday party and she had way too many people. I think it was like 10 people. And even though I didn't really get to enjoy that experience, I got the I, the sense in my brain, like, oh, I think this is fun. I think I would like this. And so my husband and I started doing some with friends and, and you kind of learn as you do it with people, like who's into it and who's not that into it. And we've kind of narrowed it down to this other couple that we're super good friends with and who also in their thirties have expendable income and no children. So we can travel and do things together (laughs) and we'll do whole weekends where we go to Los Angeles, we go to Vegas, we'll go to different countries. And like, we want to, we literally go for like three or four days just to fit in as many escape rooms as we can, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, if we can, and just do them all day long because we just love the excitement of figuring things out and puzzling things and I've also really enjoyed the way that it's allowed me to get to know myself as an intellectual being and the way that my brain works and my level of like problem solving and resourcefulness. Like it's a part of my brain. I don't really get to use all the time. So I just think it's so, so fun. And honestly, I will admit that I'm addicted. I'm more than an enthusiast. Like if I don't get to do at least one a week, I'm cranky. That is fun though. I think there's no harm in that. It sounds so fun. And the word intellect keeps coming up. That was one of the eyes. I feel like this idea that I keep having of just the difference between instinct and intuition. And yes, for sure, you should get to exercise your intellect if you're living in the space of intuition all the time. I can see why that would be thrilling. Yeah. Where can people find you if they're on the road? I'm going to listen to, or if they're just cleaning or something, I'm going to link to all of your all your things, all the things, but where can they find you if they're just listening and they need a easy to remember URL? They can find me at merhipsy.com on Instagram or TikTok at the underscore merhipsy. And of course the Mystic Rebel podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Mystic Rebel podcast. What are you doing on TikTok? I do. I, I like to do like funny little skits sometimes. I'm not as active on TikTok, but I do a bunch of intuition tests. So on my Instagram and on my TikTok, you can see tons of intuition tests that I've created over the last year or so. And I'm still in the process of creating. And it just gives you an opportunity to work out that intuitive muscle every day. Yeah. We should mention your podcast too, because you do, do you still do? You do live readings with people, right? I do. I do recorded readings where people have made themselves sort of a guinea pig because I've discovered through doing thousands and thousands of client sessions that sometimes the theme is meant for more than just one person, that the the medicine is for more than just one person. And so I got the intuitive hit to create a podcast out of client sessions and two times of the month, it's a, it's a client session, anonymous, of course, to to respect their privacy. One episode a month is just a solo episode with me talking about things like what happens when you die. 
And then um, there's also one episode per month where I interview other incredible practitioners who are doing beautiful things in the world and practicing modalities that people may have never heard of that could really impact their lives. So just opening doorways of understanding into the world of spirituality and sort of demystifying the mystical and making the ethereal earthly. Ooh, I love that. Demystifying the mystical. Yes. Okay. Okay, lady. Well, I always end with the same question and you can answer this with whatever comes top to mind. It doesn't have to be the end all be all, but what is one tip you have for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? I mean, I could go with the obvious, which is trust your intuition, but <laughs> I think more deeply than that, I personally believe that the most important thing you can do in this life is to be joyful. So if you're not enjoying what you're doing, if there's not joy in your life, in your career, in your relationships, in your friendships, in your body, whatever that is, you have the power to pursue what makes you joyful. And I believe that that is what makes your life the most kick-ass it can be. A hundred percent agree. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and introducing me to your wonderful audience. And I hope we have more opportunities to connect in the future. So that was lovely. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. I feel a little bit silly when I talk about my novel series because it's not out yet. It's nowhere near out yet, but I love it. I love it. I've been working on it for such a long time and I've had so much fun with it that sometimes it does sneak its way into conversations and it came up for me because of the word gypsy. I remember when I shared some early chapters with beta readers and I got some feedback that I should not use the word Romani, that I should not say Romani Vardo. I should say gypsy because gypsy is the word we all use and that's just what people understand. But I did stick to my guns on that because I do believe that we should refer to people in the way they want to be referred to and not use something that they experience as a slur or a derogatory term. And it's really interesting. I have old books on gypsies written by Romani people that have the word gypsy in the title. But this is something that we can see throughout our history with people redefining the ways that they want to be named, how they want to be called going forward. And it's always awkward when language changes. It's always awkward to be the one to use it first or to try it on for the first time, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it to respect other people and to give them the honor that their lives deserve. So it's not a hard thing to do. And I also wanted to make a note too about channeling. That is not something I do for other people ever. It's just my own little weird spiritual practice. I was really into it in my 20s, and I still do it to this day sometimes, but only ever for myself. If a really interesting message comes through, I might turn it into a tweet, or it might make its way into a newsletter or an ebook or something like that. But channeling is just a private experience for myself. Just like reading tarot cards, I'm not a professional tarot reader, I'm not a professional intuitive, so it's fun to have someone on the show who is. 
I feel like some of you listening right now are. I know so many people who sling cards professionally or who work as psychic readers or professional intuitives like Zoe and what a cool time to be alive. What a cool time that so many of us can do that kind of work and be, if not well-received, tolerated. <laughs> Some of our families may not receive us well, but they have to tolerate us, at least in a legal sense. And again, a shout out to the freedoms that we enjoy here in the West. And may other countries and other people who dream of having freedom like that get to experience it in this lifetime. I feel like we all should be entitled to that. Also, if you're curious about this tarot journey I was talking about, join me over on Patreon. There are two new tiers there. One is called The Bebo Effect, and that is a monthly podcast. And the other is The Journey. That is a tarot journey plus the journey of the wheel of the year. We're journeying. I keep noticing myself saying the word journey over and over and over again. I have journey on the brain. But that's what I'm doing over on Patreon. If you want to support the podcast, join us over there. It's lots of fun. And until we meet again, always remember, life is change. Change is magic. Magic is life. And the journey is the creation. Much love to you. Peace.